So Weird Exposure Ninja are really, really big fans of understanding customers. It's so, so, so important. However, not a day or a week goes by that we don't talk to people who think that they actually know everything intuitively about their customers. Um, and in fact, when you actually dig into it, they're really surprised at some of the things that are revealed that they, they kind of held to be truths, as to be constants, uh, what they thought was important about their product. In fact, their customers didn't even refer to. And in fact, they were using their products for something quite different from uh, what the business owner actually thought they, they were selling it for. So with us today, we have a fantastic person uh, to talk to us all about customer research and many other things as well. Uh, we've got Sarah Weiss. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you? Great, great. Um, so Sarah runs an award-winning marketing research company called Victor. So Sarah, I'm going to hand the floor over to you. Could you introduce yourself, please? Thanks for having me. As you mentioned, I run, <laughs> I, run an, <laughs> I run a market research firm called Victor, and we specialize in rapid customer research. And that means really understanding the nitty gritty behind how your customers are thinking and feeling and behaving, um, how they're doing that from a qualitative mm -hmm. perspective and a quantitative perspective. So both getting, doing interviews with them and in-person ethnography. We're not doing much of that lately, the in-person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, imagine. <laughs> a lot more user interviews and customer interviews. And then really understanding what's going on with them and how they're behaving and what's driving them and the motivators that are, are causing behavior. And then we take it to a quantitative scale and say, okay, is that those small group interviews or small one-on-one -on -one interviews, small, mm -hmm. you know, 10 people one-on-one -on -one interviews or something like that, will that scale across a larger population? And we do quantitative studies. And then we always learn things that surprise us, even in the quant studies. Mm -hmm. So then we usually go back to the qualitative research and follow up with those little slivers of information. So we do kind of a sandwich approach of qual, quant, qual. Fantastic. So it sounds as though right now there's a lot of change going on. Yeah, just for anyone that is watching this from the future, uh, right now we're right in the middle of, of COVID-19. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of businesses that are finding that their previously successful business model is no longer relevant. It's not resonating uh, with their customers. So really, I think this rapid customer research it's turning into a bit of a superpower. Yeah, and I think right now across the across the globe, coronavirus has altered our lives, and not even just in this small, relatively short quarantine period. Mm -hmm. Even this this kind of hostile intruder has really disrupted our way of life and reshaped virtually every facet of how we live, how we spend our days, how we experience community and freedom and being able yeah, to absolutely. buy you want to buy and do the things we want to do. And so that behavior, that customer behavior has changed and mm -hmm. it's not going to go back to normal. There isn't going to be a normal that it goes back to. It's going to shift in some way. So understanding what your customers are going through right now and then how they're going to react in the future when things go back to some form of normal, mm -hmm. that's really key for a lot of businesses. It seems like only the most adaptable and the most nimble are going to survive in this in this kind of environment. 
No, absolutely. So let's get kind of down into this. So you mm -hmm. said about start with some qual and then some quant and then we jump back into a bit of qual. Yeah. So how would you begin this process? So obviously time is of the essence. Um, people want to kind of turn this around and get some useful insights that uh, can guide them ASAP. So how would you begin? So right now, what we've been doing for customers, we've been doing three-day research studies. So oh, wow. we'll literally get results in three days from us, even including the recruiting, mm -hmm. in five to 10 people and turning that around into results mm -hmm. in three days. Because businesses right now, they are shifting at such a rapid rate. But the thing is that they're just guessing a lot of them. They're like, oh, I think my customers are doing this, or I think they're mm -hmm. doing that. And if they don't have the research. How do you know how to pivot? Absolutely, absolutely. So we've been doing a lot of phone call interviews and Zoom call interviews, Skype interviews, things like that, mm -hmm. where we're getting people on the phone and just talking to them about their habits and how they've changed. Brilliant, and do you have like um, a clear framework of these questions that you run through? Would you right. be able to share some of those? Yeah, right now it's been, the questions have been centered around how, you know, hi, I rep, you know, I represent this brand or I'm a research mm -hmm. company that's doing research for this brand. How can they support you at this time? Okay. And that's really been the framework of everything. And we haven't even been paying our participants a lot of times because the brands can't afford it. And people mm -hmm. are volunteering to say, I really need help in this way, this way, or that way. And they're very open to say, I do business with this company normally in this way. That's mm -hmm. how I've done business in the past with this brand. And right now I need something else. This is that something else. And they're very open to explaining how they want to interact with that company now and in the future. Oh, wow. And so are you finding that people... Uh, that you've been dealing with do want to interact with these companies that you're representing? Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes all it takes is just a generous payment plan or mm -hmm. a, um, you know, different kinds of messaging, just shifting the messaging almost just a little bit slightly, mm -hmm. the brand's message and the brand's offerings, just the messaging slightly so that it's captured in a lens that, feels sensitive and sincere and relevant. Mm -hmm. the, worst, so can we... the worst thing is when brands are like, well, I'm going to run my marketing. I had something planned and it's going to run. By golly, it's going to run. It's, <laughs> I, was, I was planning to do an online course anyway. I saw one yesterday. It came out. It came into my email. Um, somebody was advertising an online course that they had mm -hmm. clearly already had the the launch strategy and everything yeah. planned and it was in motion and they were like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess with this. But one of the videos they sent out was how do I pay for this online course? And one of the things that they were talking about was how you could um, go into your community to run workshops and make money for yourselves, or you could sell things on Facebook Marketplace, and then you could go deliver, you know, meet somebody in person and like sell your things so that you could pay for this online course. And I was like, this was ill-conceived because it was yeah. clearly recorded several weeks ago and it doesn't apply today, but yet they still ran it because they were like, by golly, I'm my marketing train is going. 
I think there's been a few companies caught out by exactly that, that they have their, their big kind of email marketing plan mapped out six months in advance. And then that's it. You pull the lever, don't adjust. It's so important right now to just pause and think, hang on a second. Do we have any messages going out that don't fit with the current climate? Right. Or just Stop the them. Thing change them. Too is this like one thing that's so here's something that's going to kill a lot of companies, mm -hmm. the no response strategy or companies that that don't even the way. Oh, we're just going to wait and see how things pan out. We're just going to wait it out. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe months. I don't know how that works, but um, I really think that companies that have not acknowledged that anything's going on, they're the companies that are going to be seen as either uncaring or callous in their responses or even just non-responsive or slow. It's mm -hmm. not a good look. But the, the flip side of that is I have um, an email inbox with hundreds of brands telling me what they are doing at this time in in this situation yeah. and the reality is that i'm not that interested in the vast majority of these brands and what they're doing at this time so you, how can you get it right yeah so if you were interested in a brand and you went to their website they should acknowledge it in some way and i'll give you an example of something mm -hmm. that i found very surprising so a week ago i went to linkedin learnings homepage. so i have mm -hmm. several I've recorded several courses with LinkedIn Learning. I love that brand. Um, I was sure that they were going to have some sort of response. And I, I was like, oh, I wonder what kind of courses they have on sure, how, yeah. how to pivot because their whole business is online courses. And Absolutely. so I, this is Linda, yeah? Yeah, they used to be lynda.com and then LinkedIn bought them. So now they're LinkedIn. Okay. So I went to their homepage. And aside from a couple of courses on the homepage about how to telework, there was nothing. There was no mention of COVID. There was no mention of there being any sort of crisis. There were no sales on mm -hmm. their packages to get people to learn. Like it, there was yeah. not recognized. So I actually, being somebody who has recorded courses with them in the past, um, I emailed the my content managers over mm -hmm. there. I said, hey, here are six courses I could record for you this week on <laughs> specifically on how to pivot, how to do customer research and yeah. related to that. And I said, you want me to get going scripting? What do you think? And they wrote back, we are so overwhelmed. We, we can't even get the stuff out that we had planned in our pipeline. Oh, wow. And, oh, it's just, it seems like such a missed opportunity Absolutely. They have authors waiting, ready to record from their homes. I know that's not standard practice for LinkedIn because you actually, they fly you to their studio to record. Fancy studios. Fancy studio. You do it on their sets. Mm -hmm. It's very professional. It takes, the last time I went, it took five days to record two classes and they were maybe like an hour each. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. very. It's a different time right now, I think. You're seeing all sorts of interesting things on social media. So I think people would understand if they popped totally. out 50 or so amazing courses on the things that businesses and the quality is there, the value is there. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, but instead there was a no, there was no response. So I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of companies like that. It's not just about emailing your list and saying, hey, I'm responding, me and mm -hmm. 20,000 other brands that you didn't know you subscribed to. Exactly. I forgot I had that subscription. Let me cancel that. Yeah. I've done that a few times this week and last week too. Yeah. 
So it's just even the brands, I just, I now have a bad image of that brand in my mind. And that sure, was a yeah. that I had previously loved and, and really admired. So I think it brands not responding is worse than, than sending an email or making some response or some something. Yeah, there's been um, some terrible examples. I guess they're global examples, really. Um, but some airlines or some of the big, big online um, retailers as well. Um, what do you think? Do you think that people are going to remember these businesses that now don't step up, don't behave, don't send out a good message? Uh, or do you think that uh, we as a species, we're quite forgetting and we move on? I think that if you really were following a brand mm -hmm. and liked a brand and they didn't behave how you expected them to behave in this time, whether that's a bad response or no response. Yeah remember that and Agreed. the next you try to do business with a similar brand you're going to think oh maybe i should switch to a different company mm -hmm. or a new competitor or something like that There's no shortage of competitors no matter what industry you're in yeah um, i was thinking though that there are a lot of companies that you know have really grown historically in economic downturns and there are companies right now who are thriving. We hear all the stories about companies who are not, who are really mm -hmm. adversely affected, but there's a lot of companies who are really thriving right now. Well, I was reading just this morning, I don't know, do you know Tesco's supermarket? Mm -hmm. So you've got a little supermarket in the US, I think called Walmart, is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so our biggest, I think our biggest player over here, I could be wrong, but one of the top, top tier ones is Tesco. And they just revealed that there was a 30% increase in revenue um, attributed year on year to the situation we're in now from people going in and panic buying or whatever, just stocking up on additional items. So certainly supermarkets that are benefiting. Uh, I know that talking to my Amazon delivery guy yesterday, he said it is insane right now. He said it's like Christmas, but more. Um, so there's certainly a lot of businesses right now that are in increased demand. Slack. Did you see Slack's share price shot up? Oh, really? Um, Zoom, especially for Zoom is now being used in virtually all educational systems, mm -hmm. all schools across the U.S. So they are booming right now. Granted, they're having oh. a bunch of security issues, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but right but that's, now that's part of the course, isn't it? When you grow like that, all the schools across the country are using Zoom for their yeah. educational classes, and so all the all these companies too, they're having bandwidth yeah. issues, they're having security issues. But even despite all that, people are like, we have to connect. Well, indeed, and I think people are a lot more forgiving at this time. Maybe if if it was regular at the moment, people would not put up with a lot of these issues that are happening. But under these circumstances, you know what? People get it. People appreciate any efforts that are made. And I think there's a lot of local businesses, at least to me, that are kind of thinking, what can we do differently? How can we help? Um, so it's not just about these big multinational Silicon Valley sort of uh, organizations, but it right. can be really small local businesses that are saying, what can we do to really connect with our community? and help them out at this time. So I think that's really interesting to see. Yeah, I do think that with new problems bring new opportunities and the people and the brands and the companies who provide the biggest solutions during the storm will win. Mm -hmm. 
And even though, even if your company is has been severely hit by this crisis, there's still an opportunity for businesses to pivot their messages, their offer, even their entire operation of their business model to either appeal to a different audience or mm-hmm. appeal to the same audience who is now shopping differently and has different buying habits. Yeah, well, totally. People's priorities have changed, haven't they? In the past, maybe in the banking sector, people wanted a high profit, maybe the risk was less important. Now it's all about, forget about growth, I want security. Mm. So it's about changing those products to reflect where people are in their mindset as well. So yeah, there is a lot of opportunity. And I think a lot of people think that opportunity is such a, a dirty word at this time. And actually it's not. It's not. This is how you take back control in uncertain times for a business and how you you know, not only just survive, survive, but create Mm -hmm. a strategy that's going to be ongoing to thrive in the future. Absolutely. So another thing you touched on and you said at the moment, we're not doing it so much was ethnography. Now, I love ethnography. Sadly, not many people are that familiar with it. Would you be willing to kind of give a little boom? Yeah, so ethnography, typically when we are actually able to go into people's homes and (laughs) talk with people are in-person interviews with somebody in their own environment. And they can either be interviews or you're just at a distance kind of watching what they do, observing their behavior. So either you, there's two types of ethnography. You can either just observe them and take notes Mm -hmm. and document it with pictures and, and video and things like that. Or you can actually get involved and say, okay, what was it that caused you to do that? Or or why did you choose to go to that app versus any of the other apps that you went to? Or, you know, why did you choose that beverage or that store or that whatever? So they're usually pretty long interviews. They're usually like nine at least 90 minutes. The shortest one I've seen is 90 minutes. 90 minutes to maybe four hours where you're mm-hmm hanging out with somebody, you're following them around. We did this a lot in our Gen Z studies. So when okay. when um, we were doing a huge project for Google on like, how are, why aren't these kids searching anymore? What are they doing on their phones? Mm-hmm. And it's really just exploratory research to find out what they were doing. We were going and hanging out with kids after school and on weekends and trying to figure out what they were doing. We're your best buddies. We're your best buddies. We're like the weird 30-something hanging out with you, (laughs) teenagers, like a fly on the wall, asking you what you're doing with your friends and what you're doing with your devices. And when do you switch from the iPad to the computer, to the phone, to the video game console, to uh, all of the devices? So it's- helpful to see the whole environment. Exactly. And I think ethnography, yeah, it does take a commitment, but what you can reap, you can gain from the insights from that. Because I I think one of the biggest limiting factors of market research, it is just a, a long questionnaire, a survey, and that has its place. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, how a lot of the times people don't really necessarily know how to respond or perhaps they, they're influenced by other external factors and they want to respond and it puts them in the best possible light, for example. Whereas with ethnography, there's no hiding. You know, people yeah. are just in their own environment. One thing we've switched to 
Yeah, one thing we've switched to that we've been doing some business in since this crisis started. Actually, we we were doing it a long time. We've been doing it for a couple of years, but it's mm-hmm. increased our service offering, and this has increased is video diary studies. And so this okay. is technography using a, a selfie video or a screen recording, um, where. Mm-hmm. For example, we did a study with a leading coffee company and we asked people over the course of three days, every time you make coffee, record, like take a selfie video and record yourself doing it. And we found out so much that we would not have known to, to ask about. Mm-hmm. So for example, we found that a lot of people, it's going to sound kind of funny, we found that a lot of people actually brew coffee in their bathrooms and no yes there is a percentage of people that at least for the audience that we were studying they brew coffee in (laughs) bathrooms because they wake up they're in their bedroom and they're like i just need that first cup i want to take it i want to get back in bed and do my meditation or my reading or i want to have my morning routine and i want to have it if I go down the stairs and I go to the kitchen, then I will be out of my morning routine and I will not, I will not have my morning routine. Like it's part the coffee was a part of the morning routine and they have started brewing it in their bathroom because, and it, it feels like also, it feels sort of like a hotel experience where you wake up and there's like a little coffee maker next to the bed kind of thing. It feels a little bit like that. So when we had interviewed people, we'd interviewed people before we did the video studies, and we had asked, oh, where do you brew your coffee? Oh, in my kitchen, in my kitchen. I always brew it in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. But people would say, which is true, because these people, the people who brewed coffee in their bathroom also had a coffee maker in their kitchen. They too. Sure. So they would only talk in interviews about the coffee maker in the kitchen, but by mm-hmm. doing these diary studies, we actually saw a whole unserved need of people who needed compact one cup coffee makers in their bathrooms. Who would have thought? That's amazing. Absolutely brilliant. And we can do that during the crisis because you're not to go and it's lower cost than sending a researcher out to travel somewhere and visit somebody for four hours. It gets you potentially is this going to be something that you're going to bring with you going forward? So this is I mean, we've been doing it for a couple of years, but because a lot of people don't know about that this even exists, yeah. that you can do this and you can do it at scale, which is even more remarkable because you can analyze, you can basically transcribe all, you could do this with hundreds of people, transcribe mm-hmm. all the transcripts and do sentiment analysis on the words. Yeah. You can do this at scale without having to somebody look through, you know, millions of (laughs) pieces of data. I mean, of course, we've we've certainly analyzed hundreds by watching videos. But um, when you get to larger quant data, you sometimes can't analyze every single video. But you could with the transcripts, you could have software that analyzes the facial expressions. Absolutely. Yeah they're going through when they're making their coffee or when they're doing whatever whatever it is they're studying at the time so you can do some sentiment analysis on the videos and on the transcripts and things like that you can look at vocabulary terms all sorts of things um one thing i wanted to ask your opinion on david ogilvy um a great great advertising man and he's got this this lovely quote that i always think of 
when it comes to market research. Um, people don't think how they feel, don't say what they think or do what they say. I love David, David Ogilvy, and I actually do some work with Ogilvy as well. So that's some of our, our market research work is with the, their office in Denver. Um, mm -hmm. One of the, I love that quote because it's so true. And it's not that they're lying to you. I think you hit this point at the very beginning of this interview. It's not that they're lying to you when they... <laughs> tell you in an interview, I do it this way, I brew coffee in my kitchen, that's really what they think of. Sure, <laughs> they yes. Kitchen, but they actually do it a different way. I mean, sometimes you just don't know exactly what you're feeling when you're doing something and you can't describe it. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not that, it's not that you're lying. It's not that your participants are lying to you. Sometimes they are, but <laughs> sometimes they're like- say that. That's a very <laughs> nice way of seeing it. <laughs> I'm a little shamed that I brew coffee in my bathroom, so I'm not going to tell them about that. I mean, that there's certainly a part of that going on, but I, I think for the most part, people just don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They don't have awareness. They go through the motions. They have buying habits. They, they do things, and they're not very good at explaining them. So yeah. by observing, you, you see a lot more. When, you're, when there's a trained observer saying, okay, this is what they're doing and this is the pattern that I see happening you know, across mm -hmm. hundreds of these studies. It's not just one person. It's a lot, of, a lot of similar target audience people doing the same kind of things. Okay, now we have a trend. So I don't know if this is a particularly British thing, but we're not very good at expressing our emotions. Um, so one technique that I think works really, really well is projective techniques. I uh, love it. Um, love brilliant, yeah? Where you show people an image and then they kind of, is that something you've, um, you work with? Yeah, we do a lot of projective interviewing. We actually will ask people. So for example, we did um, a study with a cell phone company that mm -hmm. it was a cell phone case company that the, where the case protected you from radiation. And so okay. they asked people, how do you feel about radiation? And people were like, well, I, I don't like it. It's not good. You know, like you didn't touch <laughs> like generally against it. <laughs> like you didn't, it's kind of war and radiation. That's a good value question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So instead of asking them, how do you feel about radiation, which they had previously asked them and got the same response, don't like it. We asked them to bring 15, 10 to 15 images to the interview of how that, mm -hmm. how they interpreted radiation. And we found out a lot of different types yes people were afraid of it we knew that already but why were they afraid of it was it because mm -hmm. they were afraid about radiation the effects on their health on their body were they afraid for their children for their families were they uh you know there were a lot of different types of fear going on and if they were able to tap into some of that fear they they were able to make a better a better strategy and a better campaign. We actually, as a result of those studies, we shifted the marketing strategy. They were selling themselves as a cell phone case company in a very oversaturated market. Mm -hmm. And instead of doing that, they started realigning their product with like airbags and sunblock more in the personal protection industry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's and, a brilliant insight. Yeah. And we had them double their price. Mm -hmm. And 
actually sold a lot more. Wow. And all of that was informed through this, this projective and other techniques as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mostly so projective techniques, but we've done that also with, I, I think it helps a lot to do that with nonprofits as well. We've done that with PBS, uh, our public broadcasting mm -hmm. service, um, the TV station that has Sesame Street and, and Downton Abbey and some of these like very a lot of educational programming and things like this but it's it's public it's public broadcasting and yeah yeah so a lot of the people who were watching this were financially supporting this and so they have an e-commerce platform where people can buy um both dvds if people are buying dvds still but also other yeah right no what is that but they can also buy products that are associated with with the different shows mm -hmm. like that and educational educational things um also christmas ornaments and all sorts of umbrella doubt Abbey christmas ornaments and doubt Abbey umbrellas and all sorts i'm gonna of, have to go and look at this side sorts of things like that okay so they have got this this um, e-commerce site, and we actually were able to ask Downton Abbey fans in images, bring us images of how you feel about Downton Abbey. Mm -hmm. And we got a lot of really great feedback about why they liked the show, and they were able to create more shows based on, ch actually change their content and their programming to produce more shows that were had a similar fantasy feel mm -hmm. that's what why people love that the fantasy they love the historical sure, education yeah. of it so it was a little fantasy it was a little historical education mm -hmm. it was just a mix of a number of very distinct feelings and they were able to create more shows that sort of had that secret combination formula that their customers specifically love it's a powerful powerful tool and and i think it can low cost. It doesn't need to take a lot of time at all. Um, so another technique that has quite a bad reputation, I would say, um, is focus. And, and I know that these these can leave people battered and bruised. Um, where do you stand on them? I just did a, um, I had to do a focus group video for LinkedIn Learning. We just talked about LinkedIn Learning, but I did yep. a, market research foundations course for LinkedIn learning. And they specifically were like, well, you can't not talk about focus groups. Everyone thinks of market research and thinks of focus groups. So yep. you got and I was like, oh, do I have to talk about focus groups? Everyone talks about focus groups. And, and so I was like, all right, I'll do it. And I started thinking about really what the value of focus groups was. And, and I do mm -hmm. think they have a value if used properly. So what val I see them as being valuable when you're creating a new product and you need a bunch of people to brainstorm and validate ideas. Mm -hmm. Not really sure what you're creating or if you maybe don't know your audience at all and you just want to get a bunch of people like if you have no idea even the slightest idea of who your audience is they're helpful to get at least a basic idea and then you can go to one-on-one -on -one interviews after that so that's a good stepping stone to at least sketch a persona they're valuable so yeah do they're you moderate these yourself i yes 
companies do ask us to facilitate focus groups. And most of the time we tell them, actually, given your data, this is better served by one-on-one -on -one interviews. That's typically the case, but there yeah. have been cases in the past couple of years, we've probably only run a handful in the past couple of years of focus groups, but they've all been related to brainstorming for new products. Okay, okay. Our new so we've kind of gone through, yeah. So we've kind of gone through a lot of different qualitative areas now of um, market research, customer research. And then you said that would take you on to the quantitative it. So how would you go about beginning that process? Yeah, so quantitative research would be your could certainly be your traditional surveys. Mm -hmm. They could certainly be video surveys like we talked about. You can combine a lot of these because we've got such good video and audio software now, you can combine these mm -hmm. really and and do quantitative versions of, of video interviews. You can ask a question or a set of questions, five to seven questions to hundreds of people in your target <laughs> audience and get a quantitative answer. And it can be, it possibly is statistically significant for your population of customers. And that's a really important one about, you know, sending out to hundreds of, thousands of possible customers but how do you identify the people to send your survey to that's a, a really important part yeah it is the recruiting is a really important piece and we spend we spend even in our short term studies we spend a lot of time up front trying to figure out is this the right person that we're talking to and so we always meet with our clients first and really kind of drill them on okay who are your customers really who are your past customers tell me about them we really find that having those upfront strategy sessions to deep dive into their assumptions on their customers is really helpful to creating a screener uh, basically a questionnaire that we can ask people to find out if they're in the in in the right audience and we typically when we're recruiting we do at least two rounds of screening mm -hmm. so we'll screen and have people fill out a survey just a basic survey but we'll also get on the phone with everyone we recruit oh, wow. to make sure that they are the right the right person that they're not mm -hmm. we call a cheater and repeater you know somebody who just takes oh, indeed and can be anyone for anybody, right? So we make sure that they're not on that list. And we also will run through, just make sure that they're articulate enough to give to give good answers to our to our study. We'll ask them usually a question that is meaningless to the study, but tells us if they're articulate and can yeah. describe their answers. So we might ask them, oh, what's your favorite app on your phone and why? Tell us about that. And we'll see if they can come up with anything. <laughs> and that sounds a tough question. If they can describe it. It's just, it's not, it's mostly meaningless, but it is, it's telling us that they're a good participant for Sure, us. yeah. So you've gone through all of this qual, you've moved on to your quant. So what is the output at the end of all of this? Because this yes. is a... You know, I know we're talking about rapid here, but it's still time. It's money. So what is the output end of all of this? Well, 
what we do is we take, we have a really rigorous process of, we're not just doing these interviews or doing a survey and saying, okay, I'm seeing a lot of this. So I think this is a trend. We actually <laughs> manually, especially for if we're doing qualitative, a quanti qualitative, mm -hmm. we will manually take every piece of data we hear and put it on a sticky note. And it could be an online sticky note, you know, a, a Miro yep. board or something like that, uh, which used to be real time board. We use Miro a lot. And we'll put all these sticky notes on there and actually just group them. And, and our team of researchers will group them and, and find out, okay, here's a trend. Here's a trend. Okay. We heard this on the West coast and this on the East coast of mm -hmm. the United States or something like that. So, so we might have color coded stickies for if we're measuring different demographics or, or different geographies or something like that. Um, but then we'll find out really quickly visually what the real trends are and what was repeated over and over and over again. And what was only said by a couple of people. I think really? a lot. I think a lot of market researchers, especially young market researchers, mm -hmm. new to the industry, not young but new to the industry, will basically remember key stories that are told, and yes. overestimate the occurrence of that happening. In there, it's such a great story that you latch onto it. And you, oh, indeed, oh, or you, or maybe it just confirms okay. your your belief already. Yeah. It's so. Yeah, so you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that person that said that? We really yeah. have to do it in a way that we're getting the bulk of what people are saying in a systematic process. But this can all be done really quickly. I mean, our average, an average study, even with, even before this crisis, would take four to five weeks. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not months. It's it's very it's very quick turnaround, and that's even that's with impressive. at the end of our quantitative and qualitative sections, we will meet with a brand and sit in a room with them or on a Zoom room, <laughs> given the current crisis, mm -hmm. and we'll say, how does this apply to your product strategy, to your marketing strategy? How do we take these and really get you a tactical implementation plan and an action plan, and a real tactical step-by-step -step approach to apply each one of these findings to your processes? So the, the output of this is ultimately to inform tactics going forward so that people actually know, right, this is what we have to do to move the data in the direction we want to be going in. Yeah, and we actually start with a we start with a kickoff meeting where we are asking about your specific goals. What do you want to come out of this mm -hmm. so that we're reaching those goals? And so if they're saying I want to know what the next product is, that's mm -hmm. very different than I want to know how to sell this product. I you know, it's a very different research question. So you're going to word your questions and your interviews and your surveys differently. No, indeed. So I think we've got a really lovely, really quick, rapid overview from Mark from you. Thank you so much. I would like to just ask you a couple of really quick questions, if that's okay. Yeah, let's do it. Lightning round. So, here we go. So number one, what's your one big piece of advice to business owners right now when it comes to market research? Do it. That's my one big piece of advice. Do not rely on your assumptions about your customers. Your com customers' behavior, especially now in a, in a time of crisis, is changing, and you need to talk with them. And we right now are offering really generous pricing packages because we know companies are struggling. So if you want to go to BixaResearch.com and check those out, 
We have a, a pay what you can actually expert review at the moment. And we also have extremely discounted pricing on our three day packages to get you results really, really fast. Brilliant. So we're going to put all the links in the notes at the bottom of this. What is the the flip side of that? What is the biggest error that you see companies repeating again and again and again when it comes to this kind of research? Relying on one guy at the top to make the decision and then just backing that up and not doing the research. Always a guy? Always a guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but the head honcho at the top. Whoever that is. <laughs> whoever that may be makes a decision about this is the way that we are going to market it or seeing Seeing um, the one real big thing I see a lot is that companies are seeing research as an expense when really it's an investment because you're going to save so much money not launching that campaign that's not going to work or Absolutely. not launching that product, that product just a little bit to make a ton more revenue. So seeing market research as, a, as an expense instead of an investment is a really big mistake that a lot of companies are making. Well, and like you said, you managed to double the price of the product based on market research by positioning it as a safety item rather than a, a vanity case for a phone. Pays for yeah, itself. and there, there, I mean, just think of that. That research project was probably only a, that research project was probably under $30,000 and they doubled their annual revenue. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So one other thing thing that I'm really curious about is book recommendations. Now, I know that you have your own book uh, out there. And again, we will link to that. But what would be a recommendation that you would make to other people, not necessarily about market research? It could just be generally right now. You know what book I'm loving right now is, and I'm reading it right now, so I'm not totally through it. It's The One Thing. Oh, by Keller. Keller? Yes. Um, I'm looking it up for you right now. Yeah. It's on, it's on my nightstand right now. And I have. Gary Keller. Yes. And that is blowing my mind as a small business owner to go, oh my gosh, if I. It starts out with a proverb if you chase two rabbits, you'll never catch one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and just. <laughs> The idea of just focusing on one strategic goal at a time, accomplishing it, and then getting to the next one and accomplishing it instead of splitting up your days by trying to work a little bit on 10 different things at one time is life-changing for me. That I love that book. Yeah. Um, I don't have any tattoos. That's not my thing. But when I was reading the book, I thought if I were to get it, I would get a domino because I think he uses the domino in that book so many times and so well it is. Identify that one bit, that one thing that you can do right now to topple it over that's going to impact on everything else further down the line. And um, I've heard that before in other books. Shalene Johnson has a book called Push that where she called it a push goal. Um, and she's a, a fitness guru, so totally not related to you know, not in the same world as, mm -hmm. as these business books, but it was the same idea of, you know, having one push goal that would basically make all your other goals easier to achieve. And for her, it was, she uses an example in her book, Push, 
of she offered a free course to mm-hmm. uh, and she got a hundred thousand people to sign up for some free course over the the course of a year or something like that. And that made it possible for her to build her list to launch her New York Times bestselling book and then to wow. build her business greater, to make a certain hit a certain revenue goal, to take five weeks off for vacationing. Mm-hmm family to do all this other stuff that she had had on her goal list launching that one free course ended up being the push goal to to topple the rest of the dominoes and make all the rest of them happen strategy is so important yeah just having that clarity this is what i will do i will not be distracted by everything else that is going on around me this is the focus right my last question how can people connect with you well, you can certainly hop on my email list at sarahweiss.com or bixerresearch.com, same list. And if you go to one of those lists, you will get a free chapter of my book when you sign up. And you can certainly- We're gonna head over? Yeah, so head on over there. You'll get a free chapter of Instabrain, the new rules for marketing to Gen Z. So head on over there. I'm also on LinkedIn, Sarah Weiss, W-E-I-S-E. I know lots of people pronounce it differently. <laughs> So I always have to spell it. And then there's, of course, Instagram. I think Instagram is one of my favorites. I'm not not, not really a Twitter or Facebook gal. I have accounts there, Okay. I, I do prefer LinkedIn and Instagram. Uh, cool. We'll put all of those links, like I say, in the bottom with description link to your book and to your site as well. Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Uh, it's been really helpful just hearing about your experiences, how it's really impacting on businesses at the moment, and the importance. I think the evergreen importance of understanding your customers. Right. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank yes, you. Thank you so much for having me. It was great getting to know you. Hope you found this video useful. And remember, if you enjoyed it, click the little like button. If you want to check out more videos from Exposure Ninja, then don't forget to hit the subscribe button and that little bell icon, or leave us a comment if you've got any questions or suggestions of things that you'd like to see us cover in future. Don't forget, if you want some help with your digital marketing, then you can head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and request a free website and digital marketing review. What will happen here is we'll ask you a few questions about your website and your goals. And one of our team will then put together a 15 minute video where we'll show you how to improve your website's ranking, your traffic and your conversions. It's completely free of charge. I know, crazy, right? But danger, there is a chance that you'll become a client after seeing this review because it'll blow your socks off. I have to be honest, but don't let that put you off. Go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and I look forward to seeing you in the next video.